I always knew there was some, that something was up. My earliest memory is of watching my mother iron one of my father's shirts and her saying, someday you'll wear shirts like this. And me thinking, what? Why would I wear one of his shirts? It's Aspen Ideas to Go. I'm Trisha Johnson. Jenny Finney Boylan is a college professor, author of 15 books, and she's transgender. In today's episode, her transition from male to female and the difficulties and freedom that came with it. Aspen Ideas to Go is a weekly podcast that features compelling talks from the Aspen Ideas Festival and other events presented by the Aspen Institute. The Institute is a nonpartisan forum for values-based leadership and the exchange of ideas. Jenny Finney Boylan's talk from Aspen Ideas is called On Being a Transgender American. She spoke in June amidst a charged time in the U.S. for the LGBTQ community. Just three months before, North Carolina lawmakers passed HB2, requiring people to use the bathroom of the gender on their birth certificate. Finney Boylan's refreshingly honest talk gives a glimpse into the life of someone who's transitioned from male to female. She opens up about her battle with suicide, how society treats her differently now that she's female, and the power of love and family. Her 2013 book, She's Not There, A Life in Two Genders, also tells the story of her transition. Finney Boylan is interviewed by Kirsten Powers, a contributor to Fox News and a columnist for USA Today. Finney Boylan opens by telling the audience she's celebrating 28 years of marriage to her partner, Dee Dee. Sixteen of them have been as wife and wife. She says there's a clear before and after in their lives. So I'm a woman who did not have a girlhood, which in some ways makes me feel very puny. Um, makes me feel like there is an aspect of the things that make other women women that I did not experience. And so in some ways, I think there's a way in which that makes me a question, my own womanhood. What does that mean? And yet, I, I'm a woman who had a boyhood of sorts. Um, and that used to make me feel, as I said, a little glum about what kind of woman does that make me? Um, on the other hand, I've also come to a place where I think, how cool is that? What a, th this thing that for me was always this great curse um, the question of gender is in some ways in some ways turned out to be this wonderful gift the things that I got to see that most men and women don't get to see um, and yet there is this question of uh, am I who I was it's the thing that you hear um, transgender people say um, a lot you know particularly in the heart of a, of a transition I remember certainly turning to to Didi in the in the heart of the early days of my transition you know wearing my you know kind of nasty wig and visible five o'clock shadow and saying, but I'm the same person. And Dee Dee looking at me and saying, now in what way exactly <laughs> is that true? <laughs> so um, I will pose this question to you. Are you who you were? Are you who you were yesterday? Well, sure, right? I mean, I mean more, more or less, you're, you're doing different things. Um, but um, no matter how amazing whatever life-changing moment you had yesterday here at the festival. You may have new ideas. I hope we all have new ideas. I, think you, I hope we all feel inspired. But we are a more inspired version of our, of our, of our previous selves is not, does not necessarily mean a different self, right? And yet, think of yourself. Well, I think of myself when I was a boy, you know, one of those summer afternoons. Many of you probably saw that movie, Boyhood. Last, last summer, or the summer before, in fact, I guess it was, and there's that wonderful scene of that child, it's the first scene in the movie, the child looking up at the blue sky, that boy with the baseball glove, you know, I was that kid, sort of, or a version of that kid. So are we now our child selves? Well, no, right, because now we're, we're all adults. But we, 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 we carry that child within us, right? We carry our experience within us. Here's the thing I want to get at, um, and I hope this doesn't sound too tedious. There's an old philosophical um, question. You might have heard this in Philosophy 101 if you were lucky enough to spend your time in such a class. Uh, it's called the, the Ship of Theseus. Does that ring a bell? So the Ship of Theseus is this question. Theseus has a ship, 
Theseus the Mariner. He sails the, the Aegean, and uh, it's a great ship, spectacular ship. And on this ship, he sails the sea, and he has adventures. But, of course, as the ship gets older, uh, pieces are taken off the ship um, and replaced as they break. Uh, with the sails tear, and so he replaces them. The mast snaps in a storm. Eventually, they put in a new mast. The boards warp, and so on and so on. So let's say after, well, let's say after 50, how old am I? 58 years, everything in the ship has been completely changed. But, meanwhile... Somebody has been saving all the old pieces as they come off the ship and assembled them into another ship. So now imagine two ships. One is the ship that Theseus sails, um, and one is this original is, is this thing the, the, made of the original pieces. And the question which we could then spend the rest of our morning together thinking about is, which is the true ship of Theseus? Okay, so I'm going to in the interest of time, I'll, I'll skip over that um, and simply, oh, well, before I give the answer, I'll, the, uh, the short New England answer is the old Maine farmer who has a shovel. It's the best shovel. It'll last forever. I've replaced the blade three times and the handle twice. <laughs> but it's, on, it's, it's high quality. It'll last forever. The, the traditional answer to this is that the, the true ship of Theseus is the ship that Theseus sails. I would say that we are, our bodies are all like those ships or like those shovels. Um, we are all what we have been and what we become. But we can struggle sometimes to find, you know, that David Burns song where I ask, how did I get here? Well, my answer there are a lot of answers, I'm sure, that work. The one that works for me is by telling story. It's narrative that connects um, who we've been to who we are and to who we become. It's through storytelling. And for, you know, because life is just complete chaos. You know, a lot of the time, um, things, a lot of things happen that don't make sense. But one of the things we do as humans is we, we tell stories. And the stories make narrative and create sense and create through lines so that we can see how we got here from there. And that's where I'll stop. Okay. Well, I think what we want to do first is we talked about sort of doing a transgender 101 very quickly, I think. To just oh, yeah, yeah, of, yeah, we can do that. To sure. just sort of establish, I think for a lot of people, even people, you know, people, good willed people who want to understand this issue need to have maybe some terminology explained. Yeah, you know, what is the correct way, the respectful way to speak about trans people? I appreciate that question because I think we're, we're at this point now where Everybody knows that the trans thing is out there, and there are a lot of trans people now in the, in the media. We're, we're seeing trans Americans who were invisible for so long. Now we are, we are, I mean, we've always been here, but now we're visible. The, the attorney general at, her, at the end of her speech yesterday said, um, well, she repeated what she said um, earlier this month, we see you, and you are, you are not invisible. So, so we've always been here. But I think that now that people are noticing that we're here, there's some question of what's the right way to, to, to speak about trans people. Because both the strength and the challenge for us and for people who are trying to figure out how to think mm -hmm. about us is that there are so many different ways of being trans. Transge so transgender, let's do this. Transgender is an umbrella term. Sometimes transgender is shortened to trans. It's a vague term which refers to anybody who is dealing with gender in, 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 some, in some way. So the good thing is that you can say trans and refer to a lot of different people in a kind of respectful way. That's a good word to use, trans. The bad thing or the difficult thing is that there are so many different ways of being trans that if, you, if you've met one transgender person, you've met one transgender person. So what are some different ways of being trans? Um, and we are, we are going to do this super fast because I don't think this is really why we came here. But ready? Um, one way of being trans is someone like me, um, a, a transsexual man or a transsexual woman. Trans, transgender and transsexual um, are adjectives. They're not nouns. Don't say, oh, look, here comes the transgender. Or the room was filled with transgenders or those transgenders want their rights. God damn them. Um, a transgender woman or a transgender man um, or a trans man or a trans woman. So um, there are a lot of um, 
So among, among the different ways of being trans are, are uh, as a transsexual woman like me, there are equal numbers of transsexual men and transsexual women, although for a long time we only seem to see transsexual women in the media. A transsexual man or a transsexual woman, a transsexual is a person who, who has a lifelong sense of themselves as belonging to uh, the gender other than the one into which they were born and, and seeks to change gender sometimes through the intervention of the medical community. So uh, an endocrinologist, a therapist, a surgeon, and a trip to the large size shoe store. Woohoo! But that's not the only kind of transgender person. That's a transsexual man or transsexual woman. Another kind of transgender person is a drag queen. Woohoo! There are also drag kings, um, but uh, we see more drag queens in the media. Our best-known drag queen in this country is RuPaul. Drag is cool and fun. Among its purposes are um, celebration, um, entertainment, an art of a kind of illusion, a kind of uh, interrogation of gender. So, you know, so we could talk about drag for the next hour. Um, but a drag queen is not necessarily the same as a transsexual woman. Because many drag queens, at the end of the day, take off the wig and there's a gay man under there. Woohoo! Who is an individual who, guess what, has a penis. Who, oh, can I say penis? You can say okay. penis. Right, that's, that's one. <laughs> and so if you're a gay man, getting yourself a vagina is not necessarily at the... T I can say vagina. You can say vagina. Too. It's not... <laughs> it seems only fair, really. Um, is getting yourself a vagina is not necessarily at the top of the to-do list, right? So if you see someone... If you see a drag queen and you see a transsexual woman, you might see two people who um, are giving you similar vibes, depending on how you're perceiving them, but their sense of themselves and their goals and, and their, their mission, their dream, uh, dreams might be really different. Okay. Another kind of transgender person or trans person is a genderqueer person. A genderqueer person is generally somebody who is interested in being gender nonconforming, in, in um, gender fluidity, and kind of getting away from the extremes of, you know, all the men over there eating steak and all the women over here eating salad. Um, genderqueer people are interested in a um, gender-free, a gender-fluid, gender-revolutionary uh, place. Um, if you hear somebody say, we need to get rid of the gender binary, you're probably in the presence of a genderqueer person. Um, there's probably, in terms of how people think of themselves, uh, there are more, I'm seeing more genderqueer people all the time. That's kind of the, the, the kind of trans person that I'm seeing uh, growing now in terms of the demographics of the community. Still with me? Then let's say there are cross-dressers. Oh. A cross-dresser is often a straight man who likes to dress as a woman because, well, because why? Well, it's fun because um, it's kind of an escape. It's a fantasy. Um, it's a, it's a, um, it's kind of like taking a vacation from the self. Sometimes there's a sexual component to it as well. Um, but a cross-dresser does not necessarily want to become a woman. The most important thing I have to say about all these different categories, and there's lots more, is that they're not clear and neat, that there's a lot of overlap, and sometimes people move from one category in terms of how they think of themselves to another. Um, and that's probably the most bewildering thing of all. I don't know if all these labels are helpful for you to think about, but this is the challenge for, for you if you're not a transgender person. If you're an ally, if you're someone who is good-hearted and who wants to understand this stuff and try to, try to, to be a friend, if you've met one transgender person, that person may not have anything in common with the next trans person you meet because one person is going to say, it's a medical condition. I went to the doctor and I had it fixed. Another person is going to say, it's about performance and, and you know, it's about performativity and it's about um, satire and it's about an art form and it's about entertainment. And, um, another person is going to say, it's about viewing gender through the lens of intersectionality and through cultural criticism. Another person's going to say, it's about fantasy. Another person's going to say, I don't have a language for it. I don't know. It's just, it's just me. It's just the thing I do. Mm -hmm. So this is why it's really... If, if you're confused about this and you don't know the right language for talking about it, that's okay. It's really okay. Because trans people, we're still working it out too. The discourse is evolving. It's developing. And we all need to be forgiving of each other. Mm -hmm. uh, the last thing I'll say about on this and I will let you say more than one <laughs> sentence this morning, okay. at least that's my hope, is 
so as a, as a professor, I want everyone to do the reading and understand all the categories and do the homework so that you can be a, a more helpful ally to a tra- the next transgender person you run into. But if you can't do that, just open your heart. That actually may, in fact, in fact, be more helpful to you than learning the difference between a genderqueer person and a crossdresser. And a, just open your heart. We're human beings trying to live very difficult, very uh, endangered lives in the face of political oppression, um, in the face of misunderstanding. What we mostly need is love. And you don't need to know whether I'm a cross-dresser or a genderqueer person to show kindness. It's Aspen Ideas to Go. I'm Trisha Johnson. Today's featured speaker is Jenny Finney Boylan. She wrote the book, She's Not There, A Life in Two Genders. It tells the story of her transition from male to female. Finney Boylan's conversation with Kirsten Powers of Fox News was held in June at the Aspen Ideas Festival in Aspen, Colorado. Here's Powers. I'm glad you brought up, frankly, penises and vaginas that's, because that's two more. Um, no, because look, I think that a lot of the misunderstanding is, and one of the things I definitely gave me a lot to think about in reading your book is that I think a lot of people, when they think of gender, they think your gender is determined by your genitals, right? right. And one of the things that came through in your book is that it, that doesn't really seem to be the case. It seems to be a much more of an internal process for some people. So it's yeah. not, mm. you know, people would say if you're born with a penis, then you're a man, but that's not really what your experience was. Well, as I said, there are a lot of different trans identities out there. Here, this was my sense. My sense was that I always knew there was some, that something was up. My earliest memory is of watching my mother iron one of my father's shirts um, and her saying, someday you'll wear shirts like this, and me thinking, what? Why would I wear one of his shirts? Um, and that, so I was maybe four and yet my understanding of, your understanding of sex and gender is not particularly sophisticated when you're four years old. So it, it changes over time. But my sense was always of a sense of, of being female. And, and so to me, female meant a, a, you know, a vagina, clitoris, breasts, um, that, that, a body. Mm-hmm. I was not a particularly feminine boy. Well, maybe I was. I don't know. But I mean, I was not, I was not what's, what's the word, fey? Is that a word? Um, um, and the things that I yearn for, I, w- w- this is an interesting thing to think about. The difference between maleness and femaleness, which I think is um, physical, and masculinity and femininity, which are more cultural, societal. So it, neither then nor now do I particularly yearn for femininity. I know a lot of guys that are a lot more feminine than I am. Um, I didn't want to play with dolls particularly when I was a child. But then... You know, neither did most of the women that I know, <laughs> actually. So that's my experience. My experience was a desire to fit inside a, a, um, a body. And yet I also knew that it was a kind of a crazy thing to think, so I, I struggled against it. And what I always hoped is that I would be cured by love. Mm-hmm. And that's a different conversation, which we can go there. Mm-hmm. But um, So uh, in the transgender world, there are some people whose desire is to change physically, right? To go from point A to point B, from point M to point F. Um, and to get through that journey as swiftly and safely as possible. But there are a lot of other people who aren't, you know, hell-bent on the destination, and this is especially true of gender group people, really rejoice in the journey. And they may not even care about where they arrive. They like to mess with gender. They want to play with gender. Um, and they want to express their gender according to their own lights, according to how they feel on any particular day or week or year. That was not my experience at all. Mm-hmm. And yet it's my community. Yeah. Is this, how, is this Yeah, helping? no, it's very helpful. And I think, well, and, and another thing I'd love for you to talk a little more about is talk about when you first started taking hormones. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I'm going to just, I want to read a little section because I just, I really found it interesting that you were saying, my moods began to shift capriciously. A friend sent me a list of, do you not want to hear this? No, it's, <laughs> I, it's, 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 a, it's quite, a, 
quite a time. Yeah, it sent me a list of 25 reasons why it's great to be a guy. One of them was one damn mood all the damn time. Uh, I And you talk about how you started crying at things, but you said, above all, I was aware of a change in the way I occupied my body. I felt raw and vulnerable, exposed to the world. One day I was walking in a skirt through Maine, and a rain fell, on the, and the wind howled around me, and I thought, there's nothing in a man's experience that is like this. And I didn't mean just the physical sense of cold wind on my legs. The thing that I felt testosterone had given me more than anything was a sense of protection of invulnerability. Um, and I just thought it was so yeah. interesting that you would experience the world differently once yeah, the and hormones were different. So, I mean, the complexity of talking about the way hormones affect our um, experience of the world, it's, it's, it's like a minefield, you know, because we have to make sure that what we're, what we're actually talking about is science and not um, something else. So I don't, and I, I'll say, I don't know if this is a scientific reaction or whether it's just the way I felt. But um, we do know that hormones matter. Chemicals matter. The hormones in your, blood, in your bloodstream, uh, that does affect the way we, we occupy the world. And for me, what I felt then, and, and so I will say some of the immediate things that I felt when I first was, was transitioning have faded a little bit. Mm. Um, I think when I first started the transition, I, I kind of, it was kind of like being an adolescent in some ways. At age 40, I was suddenly, um, you know, I had to do a lot of that kind of trial and error stuff that most people kind of do when they're 12. Um, you know, there was a while when I was wearing like, you know, stretchy pink t-shirts and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, like a lot, a lot of makeup and, and, um, it was very girly and it was, it was embarrassing, but it's the thing I had, I just didn't get to do that when I was 12. And if you, if you see it, I mean, and I say with great respect to my friend, Trent, uh, Caitlin Jenner, who was, I know here earlier in the week, um, it's a thing you've seen people who are early, early transitioners, which Caitlin still is. She is still experiencing this world in a kind of super girly way, which, and I don't know if that will fade for her. It did for me. It does for many. On the other hand, you know, Kate lives in a very Kardashian-y world. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like, when I say Kardashian, I mean, like, actual Kardashians. (laughs) So it may be that her her way of of being female in the world is going to, or feminine in the world is going to stay. But the thing that is is not faded for me is uh, the sense of, vulnerability and some of it is societal because so the bad part of it is that I am now in danger when I walk around mm-hmm. sometimes uh, I used to play in a band and I remember like when I was you know when I was putting my my amps into the into the into the car at two o'clock in the morning in Waterville Maine you know and like creepy guys coming up to me I was really scared in a way I was not never scared when I was when I was a guy Tears are right on the surface. When the Attorney General yesterday said that thing about um, transgender people, we see you. I sat there in the in the in the in the pavilion, and as tears came down my face, I can guarantee you that would not have happened back back when there was an abundance of testosterone. Mm-hmm. So testosterone does, I think, act as the shield. And I don't want to say that men are invulnerable, because I know I know many men who are who are very vulnerable. We all carry our histories with us. Um, we are not only a collection of chemicals, but um, that was my experience, and, and it's continued. I still feel very, um, my emotions are very close to the surface, and in a way, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful that those, that those tears can fall now. And do you feel, have you experienced things uh, as a woman that you didn't experience as a man that you, you know, sexism, for example? Have have you been discriminated against for being a woman? And and, and what is that like? Well, the first thing I noticed is that the English department, I used to teach at Colby College in Maine. I taught there for 25 years before um, coming to Barnard um, just two years ago. Um, But early on, I remember um, that, um, you know, other members of the English department would kind of talk over me now. And I'm like, what? Or, act, or another one, in the classroom. You know, I, I was used to going in there. I, I begin the semester and speaking about fiction writing um, with, with some lectures on the structure of dramatic action and um, uh, the rudiments of, of, you know, the Aristotelian rudiments of fiction and um, uh, uh, aspects of character and motivation. So I've got, you know, a good dozen kind of lectures on, on um, writing. And I would... I love get, talking about that stuff, and I would go in there, and students would like be writing it down furiously. And within a year of transition, I remember seeing the students just kind of sitting there, <laughs> just kind of. And I'm like, "Don't you guys know this is a beloved lecture? Write this shit down. People love this, don't you?" Didn't you? So in a way, I became less of an authority figure. Mm, interesting. Um, and 
um, I remember talking to some other faculty members, and I'm, and I'm like, I can't believe this. Like, they're not listening to me. And the other women on the faculty are like, yep. yeah. <laughs> when did surprise set in exactly? Yeah. You know? but, but they also said, but the good news is now it's easier to get a discussion going. Now, now people are more, um, feel safer sharing their feelings, which in a way I was like, okay, that's good. But then later I thought, it really, is that, is that my mission now is feeling sharing? Like, right. I want to give that lecture, right. you know? I mean, is that my, is that, I mean, so I, I try to push back yeah. that, against that. But then I'm, think, I'm thinking, well, does that make me less, less of a woman hmm. if I'm less feminine? Do, if I, like, as, like, some of the things that I had as a guy, um, swearing, playing in a band, drinking beer, are things um, that I kind of let go of early on in transition because, you know, I wanted to fit in. Um, but slowly I kind of, I thought, Really? Am I going to give up those things that I love just because I want to be like the normative woman? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I didn't do for years was sing because when I sing, I kind of have, I kind of have a boyish voice. So I didn't, and I didn't sing because I was like, really, I'm going to out myself in a, in a bar in Maine. That's kind of scary. Um, or even not even in a bar. But I thought people, I didn't want people to think, oh, right, mm-hmm. that she used to be mm-hmm. a man. But then one day, literally one day, I thought, I'm going to spend the rest of my life not singing. Right. That, th- did I really go through all this so that I could never sing again? So, so now I sing. You're listening to Aspen Ideas To Go. Jenny Finney Boylan transitioned from male to female more than a decade ago. Her talk from the Aspen Ideas Festival details the challenges she's had to overcome. If you like today's conversation, check out the episode, Building Better Teen Brains. Raising a teenager can be a lot of work. Dr. Lawrence Steinberg talks about why brain development during adolescence is key in determining positive outcomes later in life. His findings may help you better understand your own young person. Find the show by searching Aspen Ideas To Go on iTunes. Now back to today's conversation featuring Jenny Finney Boylan and moderator Kirsten Powers. So you're a Christian, um, and as you know, a lot of people in the sort of conservative Christian world are probably, probably I'd say the people who are having the most difficult time with this issue, and uh, some of them would claim that, you know, basically the thing they like to say is God doesn't make mistakes. What, right. do, what, do, you, what do you say to people yeah. when they say things well, like I'm, that to you? I'm a curious Christian, I guess, but then I sometimes I think it, if you're a Christian and you're not doing it curiously, maybe you're not doing it right. right. But then it's not for me to it's not for me to make judgments yeah. on anybody's faith. I, um, I, I I struggled with faith for a long time. Um, I I prayed to God from age four, five, six. Take this thing away from me. Whatever, please. What is this? Make just make it make me just make me like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I felt that God was giving me this mission. Like, you know, I, I have given you this thing to see whether you have the courage to become who I have meant for you to be. Mm-hmm. You know, what's that little expression? God knew me before I knew myself. So it's kind of like God had, God made me a bet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, the, the, here is the mission. And I'm like, really? A woman? Like, I couldn't I be president? I mean, that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, you know, God. Or, you know. <laughs> uh, um, also... I, I feel like God put me here to serve as a challenge to other people. Mm-hmm. How loving can you be? How accepting can you be to someone whose experience of being human is so fundamentally different from yours? Will you turn away from someone whose experience of gender and experience of, of being human is so unfamiliar to you? Yeah. So when I hear someone say, God doesn't make mistakes, I'm like, that's correct. I am no mistake. I was, I, I was created um, and... And, 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 here, here, and here I am, this, this wonderful mystery. Uh, you know, the, God created, if you believe in such things, which you don't have to, but if you do believe in them, God created the duck-billed platypus. God created the blue lobster and, and, and the Venus flytrap. Surely there's room for me. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, 
Well, in yeah, your in your book, yeah. you talk. We'll, I'll do, we'll just do one more question, then we can take questions from the audience. In your book, you actually talk about when you. I think we're at one of your lowest points, and you went out to a cliff, and mm. um, and you know we're sort of playing with the idea of suicide. It yeah. seems like, and you felt a presence. Yeah, I was. I went up. I, I I went on this long road trip to. Uh, I ended up in Nova Scotia, in fact, and I stood at the edge of this cliff at the far northern tip of Nova Scotia, which is called Cape Breton Island. And uh, there was a cliff, and I stood there, and the wind was kind of blowing, blowing fiercely from the ocean. And when it would, and I was kind of leaning off the edge, and when the when the wind would die down, I'd start to fall forward, and then it would blow me back, you know, and. Uh, then I was, I, and, and I, you know, I was just thinking, you know, is this what you've come here to do? And uh, I thought, okay. Um, and uh, <clears throat> this big gust of wind blew me back, and I f- fell down, you know, in the moss. And I was, like, looking up at this blue sky, just cut off from the world, a million miles from any soul that I knew. And I, you know, I felt something. I don't, I don't, want, I don't know what to, what to call it, but I felt something that said, "You're going to be okay." And again, I, you know, I thought, in what way exactly? <laughs> um, so I, I, I didn't jump off the cliff. I got in my car and I drove back to. Uh, in fact, I drove to a party in New York City, and uh, at that party, I met my wife Didi, um, and. Uh, I mean, not for the first time, but I, I, I met her again. And um, I used to think um, love, um, love will cure me. And then if only I were loved deeply enough, it will be okay to, to, to stay a boy. God didn't change me into a, a man who could be a man like other men. But God sent me Didi. Mm-hmm. God sent me someone who loved me. And that love gave me the courage to do the difficult thing and to, to become myself. Right. That's great. So, thanks, um, honey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I know I said it was going to be my last question, but I'll just do a real short one because I think it's important. Um, one of the things you talk about in there is that people treat, and uh, this is another thing you often hear conservatives saying, which is that this is a mental illness. Um, and you know, it, it's quite clear that you, you had a great relationship with your parents. You were very emotionally stable. You have a wonderful marriage. Um, you know, can you just speak to that idea of, of this being a, a mental illness or some sort of pathology well, that leads people? It, when, when we call people mentally ill whom we don't understand because they are different from ourselves, it seems to me um, what, what they're really saying is that you don't see the world the way I see the world. And, and to see the world through your eyes must is only possible if, if, if you don't understand reality. Uh, to which I would say, no, um, the issue is that you're not, um, the, that you are incapable of seeing the world through anyone's eyes other than your own. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the philosopher Edmund Burke um, has a, a, a thing he refers to called the moral imagination. Um, and it's probably a phrase you've heard, the moral imagination, and that he means a lot of things by that, but among the things that he means is the ability to see the world from the point of view of people other than yourself. It's that thing that Atticus Finch has that says, you never really know a man until you've walked a mile in his heels. Uh, I mean, uh, shoes, sorry. <laughs> shoes. Um, and, um, I mean, people who are trans can end up Real, you know, uh, I don't want to say mentally ill, but 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 traumatized and and psychologically damaged. They're not. They're not. We're not um, traumatized by being trans, although it's weird. But we're trauma- more often we're traumatized by other people's hatred. We're traumatized by religious by our 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 communities of faith that have no place for us. We're traumatized by being thrown out on the streets by our parents. We're being traumatized by by um, losing the people that we love, um, and um, you, you know the the suicide rate, attempted suicide rate among the transgender population is forty one percent. Which in, would include me, if you include that that moment at the at the in Nova Scotia. Um, so I'm at this. I, I I don't know where this came from, but I'm channeling Robert Kennedy, who said, "What the world needs now is not what America needs now is not violence. What America needs now is not hatred, um, but America. What America needs now is." 
compassion and forgiveness and love towards people who suffer. And that includes not just trans people, but everybody. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for that. That's just such a. I just I, so I should have. I should have. What the world needs now is not. <laughs> it's not. It's not hatred. What What America needs now. <laughs> towards compassion towards those who still suffer. Yes, that's better. That's much better. Thank well, you. That, it sounds yeah. a little better when. Much better. Um, the thumb so is important. Too. I think we have about twenty twenty five minutes. So why don't we just open it up to questions? You touch on this a bit in your comments, but. Um, I've read memoirs of other people who transition and read on this topic. And what I don't mean to romanticize or heroicize the transition. And yet what has struck me is what courage it takes. I mean, I can't think of any more profound transition to make in, in one's life than this. And I, I've been so moved by the courage. And that's not to say, you know, there are other courageous people in your life, your partner, who also are courageous. And I'm just... If you could talk a bit more about that that courage, what I see as courage, because there's so many potential risks. I mean, you seem so fortunate to have a partner who is with you on this, but I don't know, were you tenured at the time? You know, professionally, yeah. it seems there are risks. To your broader family. I mean, you don't have to get into the specifics of that. I'm more, just, I'm more interested in that profound courage to take such a huge risk <laughs> yeah. and, and to live your truth and, you know, and a truth that isn't easy to live. I didn't feel courageous at the time. I felt like, what's this a Winston Churchill quote about, um, um, about Americans always do the right thing, even if only as a last resort. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was, I was doing the right thing, but only as a last resort. And I, I, I really didn't know. I thought, I really did think I might lose lose everything. I was not tenured, um, uh, but I was in in academia. So, you're you're kind to call me courage, courageous. I I didn't I didn't feel courageous. I felt like I felt desperate and I felt frightened and I felt I I didn't want to be a source of pain to the people whom I loved and whose whose it was like my mission to protect. You know, um, I really I believe we're not here for ourselves. We're here for 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 each other, and for me to put my own sense, my all my stuff, ahead of the um, the lives of the people that I loved felt like a, a that was what felt dangerous to me. And I, you know, we just kind of, but but I did have someone who loved me. I had I had friends. I know a lot of people who um, have struggled. I know many people who didn't make it, and what I had in many cases that they didn't have was was love. But if you'll pardon the deep dive into into privilege, I also had some societal goodies. Like I was I was a forty year old white person, apparently male, um, living in a moderately liberal a purple state. Maine is like a probably the the least the least liberal of the New England states, but mo- mostly Yankees have a different kind of liberalism, which is kind of as long as they don't have to talk about it, it's fine, you know. <laughs> Like if you go to our general store and say, well, what do you think about transsexuals? They say, oh, we don't go in for much of that up here. Um, and they say, well, what about Jenny Boylan? Oh, she's our neighbor. <laughs> she's on the PTA, you know. Anyway, she was on that Oprah. Uh, but if you, are, if you are a person of color, if you are a person who, um, who does not have a disposable income, um, uh, you know, you are the... the, the um, all the percentages uh, at risk for violence, for homelessness, uh, uh, for you know, for for murder, go way, 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 way up. Um, so um, I'd like to say I was this courageous person, but I also I also had some of the societal goodies that um, protected me when they don't protect some other people, and that's a thing. I'm using my Bobby Kennedy, and and that's a thing we have to change, because being able to live your life without fear. Um, should not be a matter of of geography. It should not be a matter of where you went to college. It should not be a matter of whether or not you're married to a social worker, as I was. Um, we all deserve not just equal protection under the law, but equal protection as 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 precious souls at risk on this earth. Jenny Finney Boylan transitioned from male to female and wrote about her experience in her 2013 book, She's Not There, A Life in Two Genders. 
She's interviewed by Kirsten Powers, a Fox News contributor. Now back to the conversation. Here's a member of the audience with a question. I didn't think I was going to ask about this issue, but the fact when you said you're a curious Christian, I was kind of amazed because, as you say, it takes a lot to to change your your being and 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 change change the the person you think of yourself as being. But I'm wondering whether you why you didn't dispense with Christianity or was it was that hard was that was that harder than dispensing with with the biological sex in the sense uh-huh. that Christianity it seems to me that the basis of Christianity and most of the world's religions is sort of anti-women and anti, um, <laughs> a- anti, uh, basically everything you're standing for. So yeah. I wondered what I wanted to just hear. Yeah. You that. know what? Actually, Christianity was not a thing that I, um, Christianity is a thing that I came to. Not, I mean, I always had a sense of faith, but I, I, I found a church in New York city, Riverside church where I, where I was like, Oh, they don't hate me. This is, this could be interesting. The only thing that really matters to me in the whole Bible is the idea that we should love each other. Love each other as I have loved you. I used to think that my doubt was the obstacle to faith. And now I feel that doubt is kind of the drive wheel. And it's not that I suddenly accept all this silly, silly junk that Mm -hmm. we all know is at, at best metaphorical. But, you know, I can get behind loving everybody. Not that I'm particularly good at that or better than anybody else's at it, but the idea that we're here to love each other and how profound that is. Because, we, I mean, it sounds like the easy... What did I say earlier in this, in this talk? Open your heart. And I said it like, well, gee, that's easy. As it turns out, opening your heart is probably the hardest thing there is to do. Yeah. Loving other people. Is there anything that's actually harder than that? You know? But if we don't, we separate ourselves from the rest of the world. So if I call myself a Christian... Um, it's because I'm down with the love thing. That's, and that's kind of the, really the long and the short of it. And I've decided, and everything else I can just let take care of itself. Thank you for sharing your narrative with us. I have a question around a hypothesis that I have that the trans community produces innovators at a faster rate than hetero. Wow, that would be cool. Um, <laughs> I don't know that there's any research, but um, I work for a tech giant, and I find that the intersectionality in some of the trans tech folks that I've met, yeah. they just problem solve quicker. They're adaptable. I don't know if I'm glorifying. Have you stumbled upon stories, research, data that proves that for the sake of creating moonshots, the trans community can contribute to a faster rate than the hetero community? <laughs> wow. I don't know is the answer. I, I haven't seen any. Um, I haven't seen any research on that. You know, it, but if you've if you've been trans, it's kind of like at age five, you're given the most profound existential dilemma, or one of them that a human can have. So when you're a child, you're you're already thinking about the mind body problem. You're thinking about um, issues of spirituality and and um, right and wrong and love. So you're kind of forced at a really young age to start um, thinking in a way that other people are not compelled to. Um, does that make people more imaginative? I don't know. If you survive transition, you've also got this incredible sense of peace and solace and, look, here I am. But it only, it's only if you survive, and a lot of people don't. It kills, this condition kills people through, through depression, through... Um, through economic, through, through the, just, I mean, the economics are punishing in, in, in some places. The high-tech area is actually a place where a lot of trans people can find, can find work because, you know, they, they it, well, for a variety of reasons, but because they can work with their minds and not have to deal with constant belittlement and being maligned by people who don't understand their humanity. I, I know a lot of, of, of trans people who work in, in, in the high-tech area. You used one word there, which I hope you'll forgive me. I don't mean to be corrective, but it's a, it's a moment. So hetero, when we're talking about hetero, heterotox is, means straight people as opposed to or in addition to homosexual, right? So gay, straight, that's, that's, that's the hetero thing. So trance is not about, whether, about who you're attracted to. And there's a word which has been coined cis, C-I-S. It's actually a word that's, I, I wish, because cis, it's just kind of a funny word. But it's a, trans is a Latin word that means on this, uh, that means crossing over from one side of something to the other, and cis c i s means staying on the same side of. I'm just using this as a moment. If you if you're not familiar with this word, you're seeing it 
used a lot now. Trans, trans is to cis as gay is to straight. And, if, and it's, again, worth mentioning that being transgender is not about who you love. It's not about being gay. There are trans people who are gay, and there are trans people who are straight. You still with me? So when I was a guy, I was a straight guy because I was attracted to Didi. And now I'm a trans woman and apparently a lesbian because I'm attracted to Didi. Um, so I didn't change the object of my desire. But now I've gone from, from, gay, to from gay to straight. Or no, from straight to gay. Woohoo! Uh, oh my God, I can't even keep up with it. But here, here's another way of thinking about it. Being gay is about who you love. Being trans is about who you are. Or as I like to say... It's not about who you want to go to bed with. It's who you want to go to bed as. It's not quite that simple, but that's, that's a nice bumper sticker. <laughs> Hi. Um, Hi. I'm, every time I hear that statistic, about 41% of trans people commit suicide. Or attempt suicide. Or attempt suicide. It's just heartbreaking. And I'm wondering, now that your, your life and your journey is so public, what kind of mail you get? What, kind of, what do you hear from people who are somewhere earlier in the process than you are? Yeah, I hear, I hear from people who want me to help them, um, which is heartbreaking because I kind of can help them. Um, and also, I mean, I'm not a therapist. I'm an English teacher. <laughs> um, and my, my talent is, if there's a talent, I shouldn't even say talent. If there's a thing I have, it's, it's storytelling. When people ask me for advice, I'm, I, I really want to say, you need to do you. You need to find um, your own piece. And what worked for me may not work for everyone. And again, my transition was 15 years ago. And the world has changed around trans issues in particular. If I'm asked for, again, this is a bumper sticker, but if I'm asked for advice, I always say, I've, I've, only got, I've got four things for you. True, T-R-U-E. T is therapy. Get therapy, or if you like, talk. It just, it's, it's, it's helpful. It's, it's got to be helpful. Don't bear it alone. Find someone to talk to. R is read. Read everything. Educate yourself about yourself, about the world that you live in. You know, get a, get a doctoral degree in, your, in, the, in the fine art of yourself. So read. E is, uh, sorry, wait, how do you spell it? U. <laughs> English teacher. <laughs> U is, is you. You be you, whatever that means. And it doesn't mean you have to be, you don't have to be Caitlyn Jenner. You don't have to be me. You don't have to be Chaz Bono. Whatever it means to be you, that's, that's the goal. And don't judge yourself by how much you resemble some other cis or trans person. Uh, and E is, you, of course, is euphoria. As best you can, seek your, seek your bliss, find your bliss, and it doesn't mean, this is the parent in me, it doesn't mean that you get to do everything you want to do that day. Sometimes euphoria means planning ahead. Um, sometimes it means um, doing the work so that you can be ecstatic tomorrow. Everything we do should lead us toward that path of, of, of joy. With, and with any luck, you can get there. Uh, good morning. Uh, thanks uh, uh, for, for everyone actually in the room being here. First thing I saw on the news today when I woke up was uh, my home state of North Carolina, again, playing around with bathroom bills. Um, so I personally find it really therapeutic to be here in the room with everyone that's here. Um, but my question isn't about bathrooms. It's actually uh, about the earlier portion in time of your, of your transition and uh, uh, the relationship that you were in. What was the type of support that you wanted did you want someone to shop with? Did you want someone to do makeup with? Or did you want someone to let you have your space and sort of explore those things by yourself and not just the, 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 the physical? Do you want to take this one? <laughs> ladies, ladies and gentlemen, dear Drifini Boylan. That's a great question because um, it's not only the individual who goes through transition, but the people who love them, their families, their friends, and, and trying to figure out how close you want to be or how much support you want to give. And early on in transition, I had no interest in shopping with her. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I clearly remember the first time we went out when Jim was on FAM, and it was terrifying. But then as we progressed through our own work and figuring out what we wanted and what we needed, there was a time when I just said, I'm not doing the girly thing with you. You have to, and I'm not a very girly girl either, and, and you're going to have to find somebody else. I mean, fortunately, we had friends, and um, especially one of my sisters, who was 
very excited and very eager and wanted to do that. But, you know, there was a time where I was like, don't touch my clothes, don't use my earrings, you know. I, I can't. I can't. So it wasn't, I mean, she would have loved it if I would have done that with her, but I couldn't. Um, but that was 15 years ago. And now we share clothes easily. We <laughs> shop together, you know. Um, and I guess just another thing that I would throw in is, is that the sister that I refer to was diagnosed with ovarian cancer at the same time that Jenny was coming out. And one of the most profound lessons of that um, was that there are many worse things that you can experience than somebody changing gender. That, and, and that um, the person that I married is still here. Um, and it doesn't mean that everybody in a relationship with a trans person has to stay in that relationship. As, you know, the, the, the true part applies to people supporting transition as well or experiencing it themselves. But you don't lose that relate. You don't have to lose that relationship, and you shouldn't stay in a marriage that doesn't sustain you. But um, you know, losing someone to death and cancer is much more difficult and finite than um, accompanying someone on a journey where you don't know where you're going. There's one one quote of um, Dee Dee's, Dee Dee's uh, sister Katie, who was such a great um, support to me. Dee, she knew that something was up, and she was, and I hadn't told her what was going on as I was slowly morphing. And finally, one day, I called her on the phone, and her first reaction was, "Oh, thank God, it's 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 only that you're a woman." I was afraid it was something serious. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, everybody. Jenny Finney Boylan is the author of 15 books, including "She's Not There: A Life in Two Genders." She's also a civil rights advocate and the Anna Quindlen Writer-in-Residence at Columbia University's Barnard College. She was interviewed by Kirsten Powers. She's a contributor to Fox News and columnist for USA Today. Their conversation was part of the Aspen Ideas Festival held in June in Aspen, Colorado. Make sure to subscribe to Aspen Ideas To Go on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Follow the Aspen Ideas Festival year-round on Twitter and Facebook at Aspen Ideas. Today's episode was produced by Marcy Krivenin and me and recorded by our team at the Aspen Institute. I'm Trisha Johnson, Editorial Director of our public programs. Thanks for joining me.